Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show Podcast. I'm Clay McCormick, and with me is... Sean Murphy. And we are talking about Batman the Animated Series. Today we're going to be doing two episodes. The episodes are POV and Forgotten. And, uh, I don't know, I mean, we may as well just jump right into it. In POV, which we have a story by Mitch Bryan, teleplay by Sean Catherick Derrick and Lauren Bright, directed by Kevin Altieri, and in it, a botched police operation results in the suspension of those involved, Officer Wilkes, Officer Montoya, and Detective Bullock. Confronted by their superiors, each of them is forced to tell their tale of what happened that night. The episode is similar in structure to Akira Kurosawa's film Rashomon. Mm, yeah. This, I feel like, is the first really good episode in the series. And I'm surprised it comes so early. Yeah, it's funny because um, I know we're doing two today, and I was watching the second one, and I thought, wow, they really focused on POV being great. Yeah, um, yes, they do. <laughs> but, the, the, but the way they commissioned these was they commissioned three seasons all at once, right? I think so, yeah. The, the first season was like, I think, 60 episodes or something like that. So they were kind of working, I assume they were working on all of these kind of at the right, same time. Right, right. But that's what I'd love to know is, did they have on some kind of whiteboard, here are the top 10 episodes, which we all really like. Let's focus on these. Right. And then they're like Heart of Ice. Did they know that POV was going to be great? Did they know that Robin's Reckoning was going to be great? Like, how, how did they manage to throw their resources into these episodes to make them great? And then the other episodes kind of faltered a bit yeah know? it's interesting you can almost kind of tell as you're watching them that th some at some point yeah they must have realized oh okay well this one is pov <laughs> is going to be a little bit different and a little bit more interesting and a little bit uh uh out yeah. there so we yeah. should really put our back into this one yeah um it's like you can almost i know it doesn't work this way because this stuff is all done months in advance or years in advance but you can almost right. feel how excited they are about some of these episodes Right. And this is one where I'd say you can feel that they're excited about what they're doing because, yeah, the, right. an, the animation in this is great. Right. Well, so one thing that I think about is, uh, I don't know where I remember reading or hearing this, was they had a handful of different animation studios that they would pull from. Some were more expensive than others because mm -hmm. the really good ones were, you know, obviously more expensive. And they would purposefully, so for example, there's some that involved a lot of Batmobile stuff. Right. So they would find the studio that was good with animating cars, and they would give it to that studio. And sometimes it seemed like they didn't have much money left, so they would give it to whoever, and they would get back whatever animation they could afford. So right. they must have known which scripts demanded the better animation houses, you know? Yeah, I, I, I can only assume that's the case, because, I mean... The, you know, that's one of the things about this episode and about, you know, Heart of Ice and the other ones that are legit good is yeah. that you can tell, I mean, the scripts for these are very tight. Um, this script right. is, I think the script is really good. I know uh, there was um, longer stuff that they cut out 
with some flashbacks involving like Montoya as a child and Bullock as a child, and it's it's all very like peripheral, right? Character stuff that honestly is just a yeah. waste of, a waste of time in this story. But um, you <laughs> yeah. know, they really they really trimmed it down, and it's a, it's a it's really tight and it's really uh, uh, different, especially for I mean, this is a kids' cartoon on in the '90s that right. has. Multiple points of view telling the same story and also features an unreliable narration device, which is kind of unheard of. It's crazy. I mean, if this show was made for seven-year-olds, then, I mean, there must have been a lot of winking back and forth between the adults who knew that this was more of a young adult slash adult story. You know what I mean? Right. And and the next one, too, as much as, uh, you know, I think we're going to have a different opinion about the next one uh, than we do to this one. Um, that one has stuff in it too that I'm shocked is in a kids' cartoon, but we can we can talk about that when we get to it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Even the flops still have redeemable things that I think are interesting. You know? Yeah, but uh, yeah. So th- I think um, uh, w- I assume I you know obviously we both like this. Uh, I think the the multiple points of view thing is just so much fun. I love it every time a story does this because it, it it allows. Really interesting uh, storytelling devices, and I, I noticed that they do it a little bit differently than it's usually done. Where it's usually uh, multiple points of view of the same event, but each time you see the different person's point of view, it's slightly different in the actions you're being shown. So, like what you're seeing is yeah. the uh, literal presentation of what this person thinks has happened. But in this right. show, they're doing it. Uh, Almost kind of like you would in a comic with a, a voiceover narration caption where you can – where the people are saying stuff. Uh, they're, they're explaining what they saw right, in right. a hyperbolic uh, uh, right. fashion in the case of the, the younger cop or in a straight-up lying fashion yeah. as Bullock. <laughs> yeah. But what yeah. we're seeing is the actual straightforward events, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's funny. I mean a lot of voiceover – I mean a voiceover is the thing you want to try to avoid – and I say this having used a lot of voiceovers when I deal with Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can use a voiceover in a way where the storyteller is betraying the truth or if he or she is enhancing the truth or if they're giving a spin verbally that's not depicted visually, I think that's the most interesting way to handle a voiceover, you know, when you can't trust the narrator. And oh, yeah. In the case of Bullock, like Bullock is a liar. I mean, in his own mind, I think he's just fudging the truth. And you know he's still a good cop, but... Technically, he's lying. <laughs> right. And, you know, the stuff that they cut out, I think the reason that you can cut that stuff and and not uh, – and ha- and have it be so clearly just, like, extra fat is that the device that they're using um, takes the place of any sort of character work you have to do outside of it because the – what the cops are saying compared to what we're seeing is a absolutely perfect distillation of that character. So right. you've got Bullock stuff where you're seeing him, you know, trying to be a glory hog and it's not working. But what he's talking about is very uh, trying to cover his own ass. And it's it's very it, you get a perfect yeah, yeah. I- idea of what Bullock is as a character. The younger right. cop, same thing where, you know, he's a very wide eyed rookie. And that, <laughs> that yeah. comes through in his story because he talks about Batman like this otherworldly yeah. being. And, and yeah. Montoya <laughs> is straight down the middle, you know. Yeah, no, the young cop, I love that line, like, it was unbelievable. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably one of my top 10 favorite quotes in this series. It was unbelievable. (laughs) Um, 
And I think that um, I, I didn't realize this, but Montoya was created for the animated series. And then right. six months before the animated series came out, they started releasing comics that included her. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Just a quickie, a quick Wikipedia search. I, I think she was created by the, sh- the series, and then DC, even before the show started coming out, they started to work her in, which I would love to be at that meeting, honestly, because I know that Bullock already existed, and he was always kind of um, a cop that bent the rules, but to have like a, like a, a lesbian Latino lady character, I mean, not so obvious at first, of, of course, but to, to really have that that early on and to know it was going to be valuable and to go ahead and start putting it in the comic before the cartoon even came out that's really impressive i'd love to know how they came to that decision and obviously i think it was the correct one right and i wonder if it was something that they had fleshed out at the beginning or if it was more like a harley quinn kind of thing where it's like we're gonna put we're gonna put her in and then it worked and they just kind of built it up from there you know Right, um, right. I mean, you know, she's she's very prominent in the comics now. I think she was actually the question for a while as well. Yeah, yeah, she was. I was also reading that in this uh, series that they intended for her to have a backstory where her husband was a cop who was killed in the line of duty, and she was she's also a cop, obviously, and trying to you know make up for his murder or something. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I never knew. I mean, literally ten minutes ago, I just read that, so it's 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 amazing. And I'm not sure where the idea came to make her make her gay, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it might be a Rucka thing. I know our friend Tana is really into Montoya, and she's into Greg Rucka as a writer, so I'm sure we could ask her. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The uh, uh, she's a great addition too. I mean, she's she always ends up popping up uh, right where you would need someone. She's a great foil for Bullock, you know, because Bullock is. Yeah. Yeah, you don't really get to see a lot of personality out of a lot of the cops in the show, right. and yeah. I mean that's just a, a, yeah. a, a, a matter of not having the space for all these characters. But you know, you've got yeah. you've got Gordon who is Commissioner Gordon. He's kind of his own thing, right. um, and then you've got Bullock who is a very specific character, and then pretty much the rest of the cops are just kind of just cops, you know and. Yeah. So to yeah. have and Montoya for, there, that really uh, gives a face to the rest of the cops is really great. Yeah. And I think this is her first big show showcase where she's she's honest, she's forthright, she's earnest in how she describes the events. Um, she, I don't think she's mad at Bullock, even though I think she expects him to embellish the truth a bit. But I think that they're probably partners and they probably have their disagreements, but it seems like they, they work together and they, they get along. I mean, I'm probably adding a lot more to it than what's there, but that was always the impression I got. Like you said, I mean, I, I like Bullock, but I think he's better with Montoya as his partner because she balances him out, mm. you know? You know, I was thinking as I was watching this because Bullock in this episode is painted pretty shitty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And do you think Bullock is a good cop, like overall? Do you think he's a good cop? <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. I think it's some, sometimes probably. Uh, do you think a good cop bends the rules sometimes? Yeah, I mean, is, is, is that's the question. You know. Yeah, that's the thing. I, you know, I, I've always liked him because I always, I, ha- I have a soft spot for characters like him who are, um, who you know, you know, they're always going to end up doing the right thing in some form, but right. they are just gray enough that. You don't there that what you don't exactly know what they're gonna do and it adds a little bit of edge and danger to them. 
Right. Um, and I think Bullock fits in there perfectly because, like, right. he's the he's the kind of cop who who is gonna do the right thing. You know, he hates Batman, but he kind of probably hates Batman because he kind of wants to be Batman. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Batman works outside of the law in a way that Bullock probably wishes he could. Right. Um, and exactly. do I think somewhere along the line, Bullock maybe planted a glove somewhere? Wouldn't surprise me. Right. Well, that's my thing. I think in fiction, Bullock is a good cop. But in real life, I would have Bullock fired. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's interesting that there's a difference. And if you, you have a fictional heroes that, that bend the rules and it's okay. Like, right. You see Bullock bend the rules in the comic. And I'm sorry, in the, in the cartoon. And most of the outcomes from his lying are basically, um, they, they don't have any repercussions. Um, right. But in real life, if he was a cop doing that shit, well, I'm sure he'd be doing that with basic traffic stops and, you know, pulling people over, or like jaywalking. I mean, you can imagine the kind of paperwork that he or the lack of paperwork he would collect while he's doing his job. You know, I, I think he's an insurance liability. I think police force, if they had someone like Bullock in real life, should fire him. But in fiction in Gotham, I like him. <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. And it's, yeah. you know, it's something that I've, I've touched on in a few different podcasts at this point with Wes and stuff, because it keeps popping up. And it's yeah. this interesting thing that in, in, in fiction, the best characters are usually the worst at their job. Um, yeah. So like Bullock is not a good cop in the real world. He's a great character. Right. Um, you know, Crockett and Tubbs and Miami Vice are terrible undercover cops. They are terrible <laughs> undercover cops, but yeah. they're great for the show that they're in, you know, James Bond is a terrible spy, (laughs) you know, he tells everybody his name. He's a terrible spy, but it works. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting how these things, uh, you know, shake out differently. You know, Blade Runner, Deckard is not very good at his job. (laughs) Spoilers. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. You know, it's funny. I had an argument with my editor once about Batman. I wrote this scene where Batman, uh, goes into a building and he gets um, uh, people attack him and there's like 30 people that that gang up on him and kick his ass basically and he's knocked unconscious and my editor said this isn't believable Batman wouldn't go into a building without knowing that there was danger and if 30 people attacked him Batman is capable of <laughs> beating 30 people through I don't know <laughs> tricks or being prepared or right, whatever right. and and I, I, I disagree with him I'm like you think way more of Batman than I do <laughs> And he goes, what do you, what do you mean? And I, and I say this, having the reins to do whatever I want with Batman, obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I said, you know what? I, I agree. But I, I think Batman's more interesting when he fucks up. I think he's more interesting when he breaks breaks the law. I, I think it's more interesting when he goes in sure of himself and his ego gets him into trouble and he ends up getting knocked out or has to bullshit his way out somehow. I, I think that's. I think readers are okay with that kind of Batman. I don't think that you want a Batman that... All, is always two steps ahead of everybody. You know what I mean? Right, right. And I, I feel like my editor plays a lot of Arkham Asylum and isn't looking at Batman <laughs> from a writer's standpoint. But And I love Batman, but I, I think he's better when he's flawed and when he's kind of a fuck-up and he charges in without thinking and he breaks the rules and doesn't answer and he gets in trouble later. I, I think that's much more fascinating. And I know that makes him more of a, a villain sometimes, um, but as an anti-hero, I think that's part of the requirement of making him interesting, to make well, him imperfect. Well, that's sort of like... You know, it's a sort of a distillation of of the general first step in storytelling down to a very specific point, you know, Um, because usually the way stories work is there's a status quo 
and then the story kicks off when the status quo changes and the character has to deal with that change. And on a very, you know, boiled down specific to a character standpoint, what you're seeing is you've got Batman, who is a very specific kind of prepared character, who then is put in a situation where that stuff doesn't work. So he has to do something differently. And that's always going to be interesting. You know, that's what that's what makes interesting stories. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why that's why you end up having so many stories where it's like uh, not necessarily to Batman, but like Superman loses his powers or or you know mm-hmm. you're taking <laughs> taking things away from these characters is is forces them to think outside the box most of the time. Right. You know, yeah, that's exactly. why it always bums me. You know, not to go on a Superman rant, but uh, <laughs> that's why it Please. always bums me out when Superman stories end with Superman just punching somebody harder than the other guy can punch him, because. Yeah. It's too easy to do that, and it's more, way more interesting to have Superman in a situation where punching isn't going to solve the problem. So then right. he has to outthink the situation, you know? And the yeah, same with yeah. Batman, you know? It, it, Batman can beat everybody up. Yeah, sure. He could yeah. have the Batwing come in and, you know, shoot bombs and blow everything up. But when that stuff <laughs> doesn't work, that's where, the inter- yeah. that's where the interesting stuff comes from. Yeah, yeah. I think there's two kinds of people in comics. There's people that like Superman, and there's people that like the idea of Superman. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I are more of the we like the idea of Superman, but it, it's really tricky to do a good Superman story. You know what I mean? That would. I would say everybody. I would say I like the idea of Superman, but I also don't think that that um, discounts the character liking the character. Like I think the idea of Superman can be applied correctly. Let's put it that way. Right. I don't know if it always is. Yeah. And I think when it is, it's fantastic. But when it's right. not, it's a little bit, you know, it's kind of boring. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read every Superman, but I I would imagine that 10% of Superman stories are actually would would hold up as far as in, in my opinion reading mm-hmm. them, you know? I think mm-hmm. there's a lot it's easy to overdo the character and to just jump into it without thinking and oh, he's stopping a bank robbery. Oh, he's flying around the sun. It's really hard to figure out a way as a writer to handicap him right. in a way that still allows him to be powerful. He still learns a lesson by the end of the story. Right. But he's not all powerful, and he's not like a plot buster. You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, unfortunately, Superman is not in this episode of Batman. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> but who is equally as important is the faceless villain that they give us that you yeah. don't even actually see his face. Yeah. Um, and, you don't you know, need it, though. What's that? <laughs> You don't need it. He's, he's a bad guy. No, I honestly, really well, it. I was going to say, you know, I, um, one of the last episodes that came before this is um, uh, The Underdwellers, where yeah. uh, it's Ooh, got the yeah. Sewer King. or uh, That's the one that came directly before this. So it's the Sewer King or whatever. Right. Who's yeah, a shitty sewer. character. Like, that's, yeah, a, you know, he's, that's just not a good character. He's a one-off. You never see him again. Yeah. Um, and I and, feel like DC has other characters that are close enough that they could have just used without inventing yeah. a whole new guy that lives on you know in the sewer with children well but in this case i feel like they go completely the other way with that so you've got a one-off character you're never going to see again but instead of giving us an an over-the-top batman villain they kind of keep him to the shadows and that i feel like it makes him way more interesting um because i kind of i kind of want to know what his deal is but i also i'm happy that they don't tell me you know yeah yeah by not revealing him it puts the focus on Bullock, Montoya, right. and whatever his name is. Yep, yep, 100%. <laughs> Officer Whitey Magoo or whatever. <laughs> it was unbelievable. 
And uh, we, we do get um, some good henchmen, though. Like uh, One of the henchmen is voiced by Ron Perlman, which is always fun. Oh, yeah. They might have been testing him out before they put him on to uh, Killer Croc or something. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, what I really like about this episode, though, is um, I feel like it's... It, I love the episodes where they're just such a good distillation of the Batman thing yeah. where you've see like it's, it's like what Batman should be to a certain extent where you're seeing it from the point of view of the people on the ground and right. the only interactions with Batman that you're getting are like flashes and, you know, glimpses of him through the shadows and the fire and everything. And it's just, right. I love that stuff where he doesn't talk my number one, my number one least favorite thing in all of Batman media is when Batman hangs around to talk to people. It's my <laughs> like I, I, I after uh, the end of Justice League, like Batman's yeah. just hanging around talking to people. It just drives me fucking nuts. Yeah, because you think like, okay, the accident is over, the fire is out, the flood is stopped, and you're sitting there looking at him as the sun comes up, and you know you're noticing he hasn't shaved and there's a scar on his cheek. <laughs> just you know he's a little tired. One of he's got a limp in his right foot. I mean, I mean how many times can you interview Batman? after a giant disaster and not start to put together you know bruce wayne kind of has that kind of <laughs> has that chin you know i mean the, the least he's seen I, I think batman is best when he was year one or in, in the first five years of his existence yeah the more he works with cops the more he tries to legitimize himself the more he's on record or you know gives any kind of testimony or evidence or the more time he spends at gotham city police department the less uh uh compelling he is in a way because you just start to sense that wouldn't they have figured out who this guy is by this point you know put a tracer on him or i don't know he's leaving dna all over the city <laughs> how and i know it's a comic and you're not supposed to ask those questions but I, I definitely think about that stuff oh definitely yeah and i mean it's just the having him stick to the shadows is just more satisfying too you know it's yeah. it's yeah. it it just I don't know. He it, it lends itself better to the uh, the mythology and everything, and and uh, and and the look and all that kind of stuff. Speaking of the yeah. look, this episode has my, one of my favorite things, which is Batman lit entirely by fire. Yeah, um, because it's <laughs> it, it turns everything like it almost it almost turns it black and white, but it's like this, this right. burnt umber and and orange glow, and it just yeah. really it's it's just got a really unique look to it that I love. You know, I wonder, because in um, the Grey Ghost episode, it's similar, mm -hmm. where the building's on fire, and this city's all lit in red, and Batman peeks out of the alley, and it's just mostly black and white with or orangish reds everywhere, and it looks fantastic. Yeah. I'm wondering if this is the same animation studio, because I, I, both of these episodes were animated extremely well. Yeah, I would I would put money on it probably being, yeah, because that, that episode does have, have great animation. Yeah. And... um. Yeah, that's such a good look. I, I feel like it feels. I think I think of Batman Year One every time I see that because I feel like there's a lot of that kind of coloring in Batman Year One. Yeah, and um, <laughs> it just I it's it's always been a, a a highlight for me. Yeah. Do you? Uh, this is a sort of part of a broader discussion, but mm -hmm. do you like Batman working with the police, or do you like him as more of a phantom? Um, I think I like him somewhere in the middle. Uh, like I, I don't mind when he works with Gordon uh, and and pushes them in the right direction and all that kind of stuff. But I, I don't really like when he's, 
you know, uh, like a part of the team in the briefing room, basically. You know, I, I think there's <laughs> I think there's a there's a in, on the Venn diagram, their circles touch very gently. Because I mean, the whole yeah. thing—the whole thing with him is he's a vigilante. The fact that he works with the cops is supposed to right. be scandalous, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I get it, man. That was what my uh, my book was about: was how come no one's calling Batman on his shit? And I like Batman, right? But there's a lot to work with if you're any kind of a lawyer, or if you're someone who's angry like Jack Napier, and you have some ability to sway public opinion. Like Batman is begging to be taken down. Especially in the way the modern times work, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I and I love Batman, and I'm not, I don't always mean to attack him, but I feel like in the pulp, the classic pulp Batman sense, it works that if he works with the cops every now and then. But because of modern technology, I think that when you look at him working with cops now, you're like, isn't can't you put a tracer on that guy, or what kind of DNA is he leaving, or finger? I mean, there's so many things that you could do to find out who he is at this point that you can't really do that without thinking about the logistics anymore. At right. least not me. And I mean, you know, as much as I love the bat signal, the bat signal is kind of ridiculous. Like that. Yeah, it's called a bat text message. Here's my phone. Text me when you need me. Or See you later. Not even that. The fact that it's on top of the fucking police station. Yeah. Like that's that you should be able you could probably arrest Commissioner Gordon for that, couldn't you? That was what I did in White Knight. Is what Joker says, you know, you guys are implicit in all of Batman's crimes. Yeah. And Gordon's like, oh, well, he's not a cop. And Jack is like, bullshit. You have a fucking uh, bat signal on the roof of Gotham City Police Department. And that it's, is- it's even worse if he's not a cop. If he's not a cop, yeah. then you're actually actively, you're actively yeah. being complicit in crime. Yeah, like any any first year law student will be able to figure out how to take down Batman, Gordon, every one of these people. Right, and, and that's not that I don't love them, but I, I would like some of these questions answered. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, luckily, it's a work of fiction, and all of those rules don't apply. So, um, you know, I we I, we only we. I guess, I guess we talked about the episode. We talked about it we a did. little bit. Uh, I think we kind of covered the good stuff anyway. It did, yeah. We spawned a lot. We love the episode. Yeah. But if there was a scene in it that you had to draw, what would you pick? I would pick... I would do an entire issue of Batman <laughs> lit by f- only fire. <laughs> I knew. Call it Batman fire. Yeah. yeah. Man, oh, that would be so awesome. I would, oh, it would yeah. be so great. It wouldn't, actually, it wouldn't actually affect my drawing at all, but I would have a <laughs> lot of notes for the colorist. Yeah. <laughs> You wouldn't put on uh, like a lot of um, below lighting. You wouldn't light them from different angles just for the to get the fire. Or yeah, I guess lighting. I guess when you put it that way, yeah, it would because you know it depending where the yeah. fire is coming from, and you could get a lot of uh, interesting yeah. multi-source stuff going on. Which uh, I yeah. always want to do that stuff, but it's such a pain in the ass because it's yeah you really got to think it out. <laughs> yeah, you got to take a, like ten minutes out of your life to. I mean, if you've got a the big panel on the page is Batman lit from both sides behind him so you need a little bit of cheek on the right you need to see his cheek on the left and a little bit of reflective light in the middle like you need to actually sit down and take a photograph to right. really get get that correctly and it's hard yeah because you want to just plow through your page you know yeah the one that i love um that i'm i'm constantly trying to get is that george zafino or jorge zafino um like low <laughs> low light but kind of at an angle so it like the shadow of the nose blacks out one of the eyes yeah, but then you do a little bit of light on the eye itself. Yes. It's like this va- this vampire glow. Yes. So Jorge Zafino, because no one who's listening to this is going to know who that is. A <laughs> <laughs> South American artist. I think he died in 2004. He did some really great Punisher stuff called Kingdom Come and, uh, or sorry, Kingdom Gone mm-hmm. and Assassin's Guild. 
Uh, anyway, Jorge Zafino is amazing. And I love how he used to draw these like angry faces, like alpha male screaming straight into the camera. Oh, yeah. With like his lips back and his teeth just sticking out. Like he really did that well. He did. I, I, would, I, I bet in real life he just did that all the time. <laughs> he did the, uh, I mean, if you ever want to see Conan the Barbarian as I imagine Conan should look in, in <laughs> like the ultimate yeah. Conan the Barbarian was drawn by Zafino. And he's, yeah. you know, you could see his work. I mean, I'm heavily influenced by him. Sean, I know you are. Uh, yeah. He's the kind of artist where, you know, if you mention it to an artist who knows him, they're going to go on at length about how much they love him. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To me, he's like um, Toth, but he has an electric guitar. Yeah, you know? that's a really good that's way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> some more edge, some more tooth on it, and uh, yeah, he he died way before his time. It's, yeah. it's too bad. He never really got uh, the proper accolades that I, I feel he deserves. But people who know their shit still talk about him. So that's that's good. Yeah. What about uh, but, what would you draw? Oh man, the Batman in a fiery warehouse is pretty good. Um, you know, not, not it's kind of a cop out, but. Uh, I, I like your answer, but my second answer would be um, interviewing people with a spotlight in the dark. Mm. So when you got these three people that have spotlights on them and they're be- basically being interrogated in chairs in a black room, I, I, I know that when I sit down to draw a page like that, I know it's going to be like a half day because you don't have to draw backgrounds. Yep. But I think it's really fun to experiment with light and like reflective light. And, you know, how, how dark do you make the background? How impressionistic can you get? You know, because you can really play with the ink at that stage, you know? Yeah, that was actually going to be my second one because I, w- I was going to say that that opening scene where they're, where they're in the interrogation room is, <laughs> is really cool. It's like it's almost like a play. Because yeah, the, it's totally. it's like what what yeah. is this room at the police yeah. office that is like a it's a gigantic room but the yeah. only thing in it is a single light. <laughs> no, it's a stage. Yeah, it's, there are four lights. Yep, well, there's only one. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, yeah. Uh, what would you give this episode for a rating? Um, I think this is a top episode, so I'm gonna go with a five out of five. Yeah, I was I was um, I was on the fence. I think I might give it. You know, I think I'm gonna go four. Only because my only real quibble with it is that I wish that they had stuck to the uh, the Rashomon point of view thing a little bit more. Uh, they right. they kind of dump it pretty quickly. Um, right. And I'm not exactly sure. I, it probably changes the episode if you stick with it. Uh, and maybe it's yeah. asking too much to do uh, to really commit to that for a, a, a kids <laughs> TV for, show. It's for kids, man. Yeah. Hey, well, you know. Hey, you know, you, they shouldn't have brought it to the table if they weren't going to eat it. <laughs> what, what kind of phrase is that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, just, I just made it up. Um, hey, if you're not going to eat it, don't bring it to the table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I would say, I would say it's almost, it's almost great, uh, but not quite for me. I think we, right. the, the first great one is yet to be seen. I think we kind of know which one it's going to be. But Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, you got anything else you want to say about this before we move on? Yeah, no, man, I'm good. Cool. Great episode. Take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, we're back, and next up is The Forgotten. And in it... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and in it, Alfred uh, goes on an awesome detective jaunt and doesn't even take <laughs> his uh, uh, friggin' tuxedo off before he goes out. Um, while investigating the disappearances of Gotham's homeless in an undercover disguise, 
Bruce Wayne is kidnapped and imprisoned in a Chang Gang mining camp, suffering from am- suffering from amnesia. That's tough to say. Alfred yeah. must Alfred must thus who the fuck wrote this? Alfred must <laughs> thus track him down, help him escape, and free the rest of the prisoners. That's given him a lot of credit for his actions in this episode because he doesn't really do a lot. Uh, it was right. directed by Boyd Kirkland and written by Jules Dennis, Richard Miller, and Sean Catherine Derrick. Mm. Um, so go, go ahead. Wait, before we start, I my I I'm going to defend this episode because I know it's not great. <laughs> but okay. my biggest defense is the best character in this episode is the music. That's fair. Yeah. They have like the Batman dream sequence is really well done. The Western style Danny Elfman Batman is charming and cool and unique. And um, whenever I think about this episode, I think about the sound for some reason. Even even though I've been watching it as a kid, I always think about like that Western harmonica style. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does a lot of heavy lifting uh, because the body of this episode doesn't really hold up. Um, uh, you know, on the flip side, for me, um, I think I've said this before. I think I probably said it on the last episode because this kind of falls in the same uh, category. Whenever I think about this show or whenever I thought about this show um, and specifically the episodes of the show I didn't like, this yeah. episode was always the one that I thought of. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's not good, but it's so unique and it stands out that it's I – mean, there's a lot of bad episodes that I think that are worse than this yeah. that don't even stand out. This one at least stands out. That's true. You know? That's true. That's totally fair. But for, for me, it was – you know – I. I, as I've said before, I, I, I just never really liked the ones that had the one-off no-name villains and, you know, yeah, didn't yeah. really have Batman in it. And I mean, because, you know, as a, <laughs> as a kid, I'm watching it, you want to see Batman. Watching this now, I, I will give it a lot of credit because yeah. this is, uh, um, I kind of hinted at this when we were talking about POV in, in, in terms of doing stuff that you wouldn't expect in a kid's show. This is a kid's show that A, acknowledges that the homeless exist in a non-comedy format, because usually anytime yeah. ho- someone homeless shows up in a cartoon, it's for comedic effect. And B, <laughs> has a story... like sto- in real life. What's that? <laughs> it's just like in real yeah, life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and B, has a story that revolves around the abduction and abuse of said homeless people. So, oh my God, yeah. So that's pretty ballsy and fairly progressive for a, uh, uh, a, yeah. a kid's cartoon. And yeah. I just, you know, I, I think the opening, the first, like, maybe 10 minutes or so, I really like. I think it's pretty good. It's, uh, yeah. it, it doesn't start yeah. with a bang, but the story yeah. is kind of interesting. Uh, but then once the amnesia thing kicks in, it's just, I don't know, it doesn't really hang for me. Yeah. I, I like the beginning when the person who's running the homeless shelter says to Bruce, you know, people who are homeless are disappearing. No one seems to care. The police are too busy. You know, who the hell is going to take time to deal with this? Mm-hmm. Cut, cut to Batman yeah. dealing with this. Yes. And I really think that that's a strong case for why he does things the cops can't or don't want to do. Because I think it's really grounding to have Bruce care about these people. And there's even a great scene when he's having one of his um, dream sequences yes. where Bruce goes in and there's a homeless guy, so he gives him some money. And then there's another one, so he gives her some money. And then there's more and more and more. And he just feels so overwhelmed by he's just so brokenhearted that he's not able to deal with all of these people and you actually see like a tear in his eye before you cut away i thought that was a really good scene right yeah i think that is a great moment um among a lot of not a not great moments and i don't mean that right. i don't mean that that it's bad it's just like 
you know, we talked about it with the uh, the first Scarecrow episode about how the dream sequences just feel kind of lazy. And I think that using these dream sequences to get to as the catalyst to make him remember he's Batman, just, I don't know, it doesn't Mm -hmm. really work for me. But that one instance, I think it's great. Like, I, I called that out, too, in my notes. I said that's... That's again. That's that's pretty heady for for a kid show about right. you know Bruce yeah. Wayne deep down feeling bad that he can't uh, right. uh, help these people. I mean, Batman taking on the, the homeless <laughs> epidemic is that's something you yeah. can't punch. You know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the stuff that makes this episode bad is stuff that I'm very willing to forgive. That's fair. So you know, in the '90s, you always have the amnesia episode of any series. And I, I can I can get past it. I'm sure Highlander has an amnesia episode. <laughs> you would know at least at least one, <laughs> at least one. <laughs> but uh, you know, I I think Star Trek Next Generation has. Oh, I'm sure. Like I'm sure they do. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they <laughs> have. The like, thing. I'm sure there's one every season in Star Trek. Oh wait, wait, no. The whole crew doesn't remember who they are, and Worf just takes command because he's got a, a Girl Scout sash. <laughs> remember? <laughs> I don't. But, uh, I, I, I must not have watched that one. It's 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 not bad, but uh, I, I feel like that was just kind of a thing that, that people did or like uh, episodes that are like, um, you know, when Bart, when, when Homer Simpson has amnesia, uh, has a coma and it's just a bunch of um, flashbacks to previous episodes so the animators can save time. Right, right. <laughs> it was just kind of a thing. Yeah. And I'm not saying it was good, but I get that it was just a, you know, well, a style. Well, so my, my response to that would be that usually, usually when they do that, um, that sort of device is a great way to uh, invert the character and right. have them uh, act in a way that is contrary to the way they usually act. And then also, they usually learn something about themselves coming out the other end. Right. And yeah. I don't feel like that happens here. I feel like he just <laughs> kind of remembers that he's Batman and then kind of kicks his way out of the place. Yeah, no, he remembers that gray hair is not his thing. Yeah. He doesn't belong in a metal box. <laughs> also, I'm looking forward to uh, your book, uh, Highlander Amnesia. I think it's going to be a real hit. Yeah. That would, I, well, that would, that would be pretty interesting, actually. I mean, if you forgot that you were an, no, if you forgot that you were an immortal and then all of a sudden you, re- these, you just had these people trying to cut your head off and then you can't, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, all right. Oh, shit. I guess, like, you need to Jason Bourne it. Like, people are attacking him. He, he realizes he's got a sword. Oh, he kicks yeah. He suddenly rips open three people and takes their heads off. And he's like, all right. Well, I guess that's finished. Yeah. And suddenly there's all these electrical fires around him. And he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. That'll be fun. <laughs> and afterwards, he's got all these memories of these people's families and he's slightly better at sword fighting or whatever (laughs) (laughs) that'd be that would be good write it down yeah write it up we'll pitch it um yeah it's you know i just it's i just don't think it's the it's it's such a meaty premise uh you know to have um bruce wayne who's this super rich guy you're you're literally putting him in in the shoes of a homeless person but not in a way that would really affect him as Bruce Wayne, the rich guy, you know, because it's not. Right. And yeah. I, I mean, obviously, again, it's a kid's show. It's a Batman show. There's got to be a bad guy. There's got to be punching and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, it, I feel like the premise is so meaty. And then they just kind of supplement it with dream sequences and Alfred right. not knowing how to fly the bat plane. Um, oh, yeah. And a kind <laughs> of the a bat plane. 
bad plane's like you want me to land okay your funeral yeah <laughs> like, who programmed the bad plane for humor gallows humor at that yeah it was 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 bruce like one day alfred's gonna want to fly this and i'm gonna make sure that he knows that i don't want him to do it and that he's, i think he's bad at it when, when the plane says your funeral should it be a funny your funeral or a dark your funeral i can imagine bruce staying up very late making sure it's the right type yeah i feel like voice. i feel like if you get in a plane and it says your funeral i hope you kept the receipt because you should probably take it back to the plane store <laughs> the plane store oh man speaking, speaking of going to the plane store not really yeah. um <laughs> the uh, the end of this episode's kind of weird too, where there wa- everybody's saved, and then Bruce is like at the 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 home of one of the guys who he was in there with, and he's walking out, and they're like, "Yeah, what are you gonna do?" And he's like, "I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna get into my Rolls Royce and go back to my giant mansion. Call me if yeah. you think you might want a job." He doesn't offer them a job. He says, yeah. "Call me if you want a job." Yeah, and you assume that he hooks them up after. But yeah, he wakes up from this nightmare and has a butler and a Rolls Royce. Yeah, he's like, "See you later." One, you know, right? Like it's home. it's a nice, it's like a, it's like a cute little coda. Yeah. But I mean, inside the story that they're trying to present, or like should have maybe tried to present, it's kind of a dicky yeah. way to end it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny if, if they had done some kind of follow up to those characters, like if uh, even if they were a cameo in a future episode where one of the guys was like working security or working in Wayne labs, whatever. Yeah. I, I feel like there would be a nice kind of nod to, um, Bruce trying to help people outside of Batman, you know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking as I was watching, it, I was like, Oh man, Sean should use these guys in his book. <laughs> Do they, what, what are their names? There's the, the, the big black dude and the white dude. Yeah. They, they definitely have names and they definitely say them, but I don't remember. Who they are. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll, I'll find a place for them. I'm uh, maybe starting another sequel to a Batman thing, but we'll see. The um, the villain in this is another one where it's just a very kind of forgettable one shot. Yeah. And um, I know Bruce Tim actually commented on on the the uh, uh, how difficult it is to do the one time villains. So he specifically tried to make him over the top and you know really fat and eating food just as a way to kind of stand out um right. and it is it is interesting to watch this back to back with pov because you know as we said pov has a really it's a very faceless villain but the, yeah. the villain isn't the central part of the story not that he really is in this episode either um but the faceless villain is more interesting yeah like the last like you said the last episode the faceless villain was really interesting but this guy is a comic comedy relief i mean this just giant overweight guy who can't stop eating um you know talking shouting orders to people between ham sandwiches <laughs> um yeah it makes you it it definitely takes away the severity of the situation but it's kind of a ridiculous situation anyway i, I feel like this episode is trying to be cool hand luke yes. or something yeah I, yeah I, I, I don't know like in, in theory you can see why the theme and the visuals would work but the logistics of it actually happening like where is there a desert outside of gotham city yeah like how how i mean there's so many questions Go- I have. gotham city in this show is basically like springfield in the simpsons where it's I like i knew you were gonna say that yeah, one direction it's it's the it's the winter and it's mountains and the other direction is a desert and you know, there's jungle <laughs> yeah. it's whatever you need is just outside evergreen terrace yeah <laughs> yeah and i guess i'm okay with that but it, i don't know yeah yeah the, you <laughs> know it's funny Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, the, the, the 
uh, it, it's tough with these episodes because, you know, not every episode can be hard of ice, you know. Um, right. And I think that there is a good episode in here. I just don't think it's they fully cooked it. And yeah. uh, you can tell this is one of those episodes, as we were talking about about POV, where mm. uh, they didn't put them they didn't put the best guys on the animation for this. Like it's clearly right. not as good as POV. That right. fight scene in the alleyway is just like it's so yeah. slow. It's so slowly animated. It's kind of fun yeah. with him, you know, dodging the punches without taking his hands out of his pockets. But um, <laughs> yeah. it's just yeah. it's just not executed super well. And yeah. you know, you can it, it shows. It's it's funny. I mean, the idea of working on a team to create something like a cartoon like this to know that you're phoning in certain episodes. I mean, there must be a discussion. So you go into a meeting with Bruce Tim and Paul Dini and all these guys, and they talk about POV. And you were in that meeting talking about Rashomon and this amazing animation right. and how great this is, like all that stuff. And you leave feeling like, this is why I got into animation. This is awesome. And then the next meeting is about Forgotten. And at that meeting, does everybody go, well, you know, we kind of blew our load on POV, so <laughs> who really cares about this one? Like to to let something go to print or to, to go to animation that you're – it's kind of meh. Oh well, who cares? Like I don't know what that feeling is because, like everything I've ever written is as good as I can make it, and I, I stand by it. But to to and I understand the production of animation and movies. Sometimes you need to compromise, just move on. Right. You know. Right. But I'm just I'm not sure where that line is. You know. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it would be really interesting to be inside those rooms, like we said. You know, it, it, it's. Like who's who's the person that makes the decision that this one's like eh, we could probably phone it in for this one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't I don't know if there's. Oh, I the, <laughs> I would like to point out that the bad guys in this might be the dumbest bad guys in the history of Batman because yeah. they're big idea to fight Batman is to draw him into a dark mine and then turn on all of their headlamps. Yeah, Batman's never thought about darkness and shadows before. Yeah, um, it's probably the exact opposite of what you would want to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think we more or less covered this. I don't think there's there's a lot more to say unless unless you can yeah. think of anything else. Um, do you have yeah. uh, a scene that you would want to draw? Ooh. I mean, if I was going to do some really heartfelt illustrations, I might do Batman with the homeless. Yeah. Um, like him in a, a soup kitchen or I think that stuff is it would be really great as a one page spread. I mean, you would never sell that spread, but I think that it's a real emotional beat that you don't see a lot of in comics. So I, I might be interested in drawing that, yeah. even though it's not like the, the glamorous scenes, but or that or Alfred landing on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? I'm going to say something equally as heartfelt and touching. And I would say <laughs> I, would, I would draw the cave fight sequence. Is that what you yeah, that's very that's very heartfelt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think that would just be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's it's playing with all the again playing with all the shadows and stuff and and how and yeah. the actual physics of the fight and everything. You could do some really cool stuff. I think in there would be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It's funny um, being on the right book that allows you to do shadows. It really does give you a whole lot of opportunity as artists. You know. Yeah. And that's kind of our our, our take with this podcast is how do we comic artists view this this stuff you know so i feel like shadows and reflective light and all that stuff even though maybe a lot of people listening don't 
know what those things are as much, but I, I do think about that stuff a lot, you know, and if you had to draw this in a comic, how detailed would you start going? How much crosshatch would you use? How dark would you go? Right. You know? Yeah. You know, I, I, I am constantly struggling with that, you know, like I, when I, the things that I'm working on, when I get a page where it's, you know, nighttime in a, in a, that, that requires a lot of shadows, I can just really kind of turn it up to yeah. 11 and it just feels really natural to do that stuff. And then yeah. on the flip side, if I have something that takes place, you know, outside during the day, I kind of yeah. freeze up a little bit. Cause I'm like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make this exterior daytime <laughs> shot look like it's, you know, uh, the yeah. twilight zone here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it is something that's, that's difficult. Yeah. How do you, how do you generally handle that stuff? It's funny. I was thinking at that time you and I, you had that, um, tablet and we set it to all black and we drew yep. in white yep. and we're trying to figure out like if you start with complete black and you only draw the highlights you're no matter what you draw you're probably guaranteed to get the most amount of black per page possible right you know and we found it really hard to draw with white you know mm. and in theory because it, it, i know um jp leon did a story in uh, <clears throat> batman black and white volume three where i think he did um subtractive uh, inking or I don't know what you would call it but he started out with black and he only added white and you know it was much been a pain in the ass but it was a really interesting experiment you know and I think that even if you're trying to be really black heavy um, you can always go further you know because you fall in love with little white shapes that you create and you don't want to black over everything right, you know what right. I mean but that's where you know artists like Zafino are so amazing is like the bold decision making that, that they make is incredible like I would buy um, a page of J.P. Leon. I know I'm talking about different artists here. Um, J.P. stuff. And I what I thought was a picture of a guy's face, half in shadow. I could tell he drew the lips, he drew the cheeks, he drew the nose, drew the nostrils. And then after it dried, he must have gone black and gone, eh, no, it should all be black. Yep. So you can see his thought process with the ink. And if you're an inker, you sort of know how to dissect the history of each panel like that, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, there's a um, a famous story by Alex Toth um, that's about the uh, these Romans, and the 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 twist of the of the story is the last page. You find out that these are the Romans who were at the crucifixion. Ooh, wow! It, yeah, it's really great. And the the last uh, page is this big splash page of the three crosses, you know, like giant three crosses, right? And it's all they're all blacked out. And um, I forget who who where I heard this, but apparently on the actual original art, you can see that he actually drew out all of the figures on the crosses, and then at some point decided nope it's going to be more impactful if I black it out. So he drew everything out and then blacked it out into silhouette, which is, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's always, you know what? I, I love doing that. It's, it's more work. It kind of feel when I, when I, when I end up doing stuff like that, it kind of feels a little bit like I'm being indecisive, you know? Right. But right. when you get to that point where you make that decision to black it out and it works, it's so satisfying. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's just interesting because you, in theory, slapping down black shapes should be quick and easy, but the process of doing it takes a lot of bravery. Right. Sometimes, like you, you, you've focused on you know a, a a woman's elbow drawing, drawing her elbow for like three hours, and then in the end, you realize design wise, it's better if you just black it out. So you just slap black over it, yep. and it's really hard to because you're going from minimalism and impressionism 
but you don't want it to feel lazy because you know adding a lot of black can feel lazy sometimes so yeah it's always like a it's it's not an easy thing to do and it's easier than it looks you know yeah you mean it's harder than it looks sorry sorry yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think this this glass of wine is getting to me oh no yes yeah, it's, it's a lot harder than it looks because in theory it should be easy but it, the 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 turmoil that goes to the artist's head before deciding you know what fuck it this is just going to be black that's not an easy step to get to all the time right you know? right yeah yeah i know i struggle with backgrounds a lot too in some places because you know there, i want to be like well you know I feel like I could black this wall out, but I don't know if yeah. that makes sense given if it's not like it doesn't call for that mood. So it, it it's it's an interesting <laughs> thing to have to, you know, constantly push back and forth with. Yeah, yeah. I was doing um chrononauts with uh Mark Millar and um my work is heavily based on 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 heavy blacks and stuff. And um halfway through the book I realized and I knew this, but it never occurred to me to change drawing styles was i realized this is a comedy like putting shadowy right. <laughs> scary faces on everybody like hellblazer or batman like I, I don't think that's working here so you can see halfway through the book i'll i tone it down and i get slightly more tothy and cartoony and i, I ease up on fingerprints everywhere mm-hmm. it doesn't need to look you know stressed and strangled everywhere um but yeah <laughs> i mean there's a place for it it's, I, I love books that are uh, horror books or mysteries or stuff that takes place in, place in dark alleys is totally up your style as, as well, right, I'm guessing. Right. But if you give me a book in bright daylight, I'm like, oh, God, I have to draw everything? Jesus Christ, I fucking hate the sun because you can see everything <laughs> around you and I have to draw it. <laughs> yeah, one of the last books that I did uh, called Poser, which is which is great. Um, it was so much fun to do, but it was such a, yeah. it was such a uh, back and forth because – like half of it took place outside in California during the day. And then the other <laughs> half of it was like in clubs at night and was like a slasher story. So right. there would be these outside shots where, again, I would be like, I feel like I can't really put much shadow in here at all. So it's going to I I'm, feel kind of uh, timid. And then the nighttime right. stuff, I'm like, oh, it's just splatter. And maybe you don't see this guy's face at all. You know, it was it was interesting yeah. going back and forth between those two things. Yeah. Do you ever um, ink someone's face in shadow and think, oh, I, I fucked it up. It's too far. So you take a lunch break or maybe you put it aside for a day and you come back the next day and you go, actually, I think it works. Oh, yeah. De- Do you ever ha- have that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's weird to get to that uh, to st- step away and come back and realize that, oh, actually, I nailed it. But I, I hated myself so much yesterday yes. that I wasn't able to appreciate this. <laughs> yeah, that's basically my every day when I work. Uh- <laughs> How much do I hate myself yeah. today? <laughs> anyway, um, what would you rate this episode? Uh, I'm going to go... T- if three is average, I'm going to go two and a half yeah. out of three. Out of five, sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. I would, How about you? I would give it a two. I, I, I think I like it a little bit more than I have in the past now that I've kind of... Uh, I can recognize some of the heavy stuff that they were putting in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like it, you know, it was, it was a little underbaked and, uh, and it didn't have, <laughs> yeah. it didn't have the full backing of the, of the, uh, of the A team, I don't think. Um, <laughs> yeah. so unfortunately it's not what it could be, but, uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe somewhere sometime down the line, s- someone can come back to the concept and, and, uh, and do something cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think it was you I was talking to about, or it was our, our text, all our friends on text messages we were saying. How cool it would be to uh, commission artists to do uh, 
every episode of Batman the Animated Series as a one-shot. Oh, yeah. And l- let them interpret it their way, but basically stick to the dialogue, stick to the script, you know? Yeah, that would be, that would and, be very uh, cool. This, this, this would be a fun one to draw, but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure they stick the landing. Yeah, I think I think this one would require some script rework. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's a, that's a story for another time. Yeah, anyway, yeah. that was uh, Forgotten and POV, or POV and Forgotten, if you're not listening to this backwards. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so next time, next episode, we'll be covering Be a Clown, and It's Never Too Late. It's a little bit out of uh, order because we wanted to make sure we had uh, Two-Face Part 1 and Part 2 as a single episode. So we're going to do right. kind of jump around a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Love that episode. But, yeah, thanks so much for listening. If uh, if you like the show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can find us on Twitter at BatAssPodcast. That's at B-A-T-T-A-S-S Podcast. And if you've got any <laughs> questions or feedback, you can find us there or send us an email at, uh, what is it, BatAssPodcast at gmail.com. I hope that's right. I haven't looked it up in a while. <laughs> so anyway. I'm sure they can check out any other episode where you have the correct information. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was, it'll, it'll be, it's all over the place, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks, Sean. And uh, Thanks, Clay. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.